We started a series a few weeks ago. So far, it has been amazing just to note just within my own life as I've worked through it week after week how God is just cleaning out certain areas within my life as the Word of God sheds its light on particular areas. And I trust that today God would do the same. And so we... We have entitled the series Viruses of the Heart or um, Enemies of the Heart. And um, last week we looked at the subject matter of pride. And um, it is a series, one flows into the other. So if you hadn't heard it, I'd encourage you please to go and to re-listen to that message and to combine it with today. You know, when you talk about diseases also, you could term it of the heart, you find out that over periods of time, seasons within our lives, that there are certain shadows that start to form around our hearts. They're not necessarily sin issues, but they are those weights that Paul speaks about in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, you know, that we need to forsake the sin and the weight that so easily besets us. And these things are sometimes like weed and they grow around our hearts. And as they start to grow around our hearts, they start to squeeze the very gospel life out of our spirit. And our spirits become constrained and we no longer bear the fruit that God intends us to bear. And so last week we looked at the subject matter of pride. Today we're gonna look at another subject matter and, and, and pride kinda lays the foundation, the negative foundation or the bad swell out of which some of the other sins flow. And if they're not a sin, they certainly are like a weight that hinders us from going forward in the Lord. And I want to speak about the subject matter today, which is called anger. Now, of course, no one in our church ever gets angry. It only happens in other churches. No one ever in your home gets angry. It only happens in other homes. Of course, in your marriage, your spouse never gets angry at you, and you never get angry at your spouse. It only happens in other marriages. But if the truth be told, it happens in all of our lives at some stage or another. What I'm so aware of today is that as we talk about the subject, that for some people, it is a very painful subject to even consider. Because some people have been abused by the anger of a spouse, by the anger of a parent, or even the anger of a boss. I remember at school, I was abused by the anger of a teacher. And it took me years to get over that abuse that I suffered in school by this teacher. And so I'm so aware that some of us who are here today would find it very, very hard to hear us speak about it. And so I wanna be very careful as I speak about it because it's not a light subject 
it is a very real subject. And it's amazing when you read the Word of God how the Bible addresses the subject matter. And it addresses it in such detail and so often in both the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. And it tells me that it is a very relevant subject to all of us. Certain cultures champion anger to a level which is absolutely um, unbiblical. And um, some cultures actually glory in it, which we should not. When we look at the subject of anger within the Word of God, it covers both righteous anger and then what I call sinful anger. And we're going to look at both today. But I would like you, please, to turn in your Bibles um, to start off with to two scriptures. The first one is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. This is what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Booming city, a lot of things happening within that city, a lot of trade happening, a lot of families. It was quite a bustling type of place. And he writes to the church at Ephesus and he says to them, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God, forgave you. And so right from the onset here, I wanna give all of us hope. If you are the abuser and you can't control yourself, there's hope for you. If you have been abused, this verse says that there's hope for us. And this phrase which says, just as Christ God forgave you, the gospel is presented to us in such a dynamic way where Jesus is put in the very center of all of these sins or all of these diseases of the heart, the enemies of the heart, that we are confronted with. The gospel is centered right in the very midst of it, which gives us hope. Because the gospel says that these things, when we turn to Christ, is disarmed. When Jesus died on the cross, and when he received all of our sins upon himself, that includes the bitterness that you and I have or had, the rage, the anger, the brawling, the slander, and every form of malice. Jesus took all that upon himself 2,000 years ago. And miraculously, if we turn to him today, he can start a process of freedom within your life from these things. And so I want to start off with the gospel and hopefully today I can end off with the gospel, there is gospel help for all of us. That means there is a supernatural resource available to each and every one of us who find ourselves in the midst of anger, even being the abuser or abused. There is wonderful hope for us. 
And then I'd like you to turn to John chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. Because as I was praying about this message in the beginning of the week and how to develop it and, and looking at so many resources that I read, I was praying and God spoke to me about someone here or some people here today. And this was the phrase that popped up into my mind very quickly and very powerfully. And the phrase was, put your sword away. Put your sword away. And I want you to read the scripture and see if you can pick up what it's about. And so John chapter 18 verses 1 to 11 says this says about Jesus, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met them there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants, servant, cutting off his right ear. The, service, the servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Believe that the Spirit of God would speak to some of us today and he would say, put your sword of anger or your sword of revenge away, put it away. Now have you heard people say of you or of someone else this, he or she is hot can you repeat the phrase? There we go. He or she is hot under the collar. Have you heard people say he is a angry person? Or she or he has anger issues? Or you have quite a temper? Or <laughs> That person is blind with anger. She's going to fly off the handle. That person has just blown a gasket. 
Have you heard this one? Don't get mad, get even. She's going to jump down my throat again. Now, this is a very South African one. To scream bloody murder. Or anger is to bite someone's head off. Have you heard all of these descriptions of anger? And unfortunately, sometimes we find ourselves in the very center of that description. The online dictionary defines anger as a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, and hostility. Brian Anderson says that anger is always a response to something else. To one degree or another, anger is a response to something or someone that endangers something we love. That's why you get angry at the guy speeding down your street when your children are playing in the front yard. That person is endangering your children whom you love. So your response is in the form of anger. However, anger can turn sinful very fast when what is being endangered is yourself or those we love. That's what it means to be selfish. Sinful anger is a response that stems from our pride, selfishness, or self-idolatry as we looked at what pride is all about last week. Now, it is important to note that anger is not always sinful. If it was, then both God and Jesus had sinned, which we know they hadn't. And so, when we look at righteous anger today, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 27 says this, Therefore each of you must put all falsehood, that means lying, and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. There's a clip that I would like us to listen to for those of us who are given to righteous anger. And like I said, righteous anger is not always wrong, as Terry Virgil would say. So um, I think he says it's much better than what I can. And so can we listen to Terry just for about three minutes and then we'll talk just a little bit more about righteous anger. We were looking last time at how Elijah suddenly collapsed. And I said I wanted to stay here for a little while. I'd like to look at what might be the reason. It's a bit speculative, so feel free to dismiss it. But something took this man of colossal faith, uh, real courage, commitment to God, to a complete contrast, running for his life, even praying the suicide prayer, take my life from me. I mean, it was a complete collapse. He somehow got his eyes off God. I want to suggest some possible things that led to that. The first one we'll look at today is the possibility of, in the midst of bringing God's judgment to the prophets of Baal, 
namely they were to be slaughtered. Um, Baal worship was destroying the nation, destroying its culture, getting them so off track. God required they should be slaughtered. And Elijah did that. But, you know, handling righteous indignation is, is one of the toughest things a Christian has to do. And I want to just warn us about that danger because sometimes I've seen people who begin to care about a particular issue. And it's right. It's a, it's a big, big issue. But what can happen is they become what I would call a single issue Christian. And somehow you don't feel you meet Jesus in the midst of it. It's a real issue. It can start as a real issue. But it could be initially a theological issue. Feeling, hey, you should, you should believe this. You, not this, you should believe that. And, and what, becomes, what began as a, a real passion for Scripture begins to be just a, a fighting for a particular doctrine. Sometimes it's, it's a, it becomes a moral issue, not just a theological issue, a moral issue. Some of the great issues of today, race, gender. I mean, things people care passionately about. And sometimes it can even overflow and become a political issue. And you find people who used to be happy Christians beginning to be very, very one-issue Christians who don't want to talk about anything else who don't seem to be enjoying their salvation very much, but are passionately committed to this one thing. It's quite hard to enjoy fellowship on a broader scale. So let's just see that and, and be wary of that danger. That can happen to people and they're big issues. The prophets of Baal and dealing with that was a big issue, but possibly, possibly Elijah got caught up in that. Somewhere he got his eyes off Jesus. Let me ask you right now, please beware of any issue that you find begins to matter to you more than enjoying and glorifying Jesus. And that you get stirred up inside about it and you need to fight for it and maybe fight other Christians about it. Be careful. Somewhere Elijah got his eyes off of God. Somewhere he couldn't make it any further and ran for his life when Jezebel attacked him. Let's be careful. Let's watch out for our heart. Thank you, Terry. Righteous anger. Be careful if you are a cause-driven Christian. And as Terry says, be careful when we become one issue Christians. You have overstepped the line when Jesus is no longer central within your life because of this issue that you are becoming overly angry and obsessive about. Conversations are dominated by your cause and your joy in Jesus is gone and your heart has become crusty then it no longer is righteous anger. You see, Jesus got angry at man's stubbornness in Mark chapter three, verse five. Scripture says, he looked around them in anger and deeply distressed 
at the stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand, he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot the Herodians on how they would kill Jesus. But Jesus got angry. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely the concerns of man. And so we see something of the heart of Jesus. But if there's anyone who righteously could get angry, it was Jesus. Because he read the situation well. Jesus understood the context of the matter. But when you and I get angry, oftentimes it is like boiling water. You can't see yourself in the water when it's being boiled. It's got to wait until it simmers down and then, then you see a reflection of your face. But my friends, when we are in that place of anger, something changes within us. Something comes out that oftentimes is very, very unhelpful. And so when we are righteously angry over something, we've got to make sure that the fruit of the Spirit called self-control is at the very center of it. Now, my friends, I do think that sometimes we need to get angry at things, angry at the right things, but my friends, we've got to make sure that that anger is controlled, and if it happens too often, it's no longer righteous anger. It becomes fleshly anger, which is sinful. And so I want to make sure from the offset that we understand that there is something which is called righteous anger. And there are times with our children we need to be angry with what's happening, but we so not. There are times with people when they continuously do things that hurts others, where there is something that rises up within our hearts, we're angry, but you've got to make sure that you do not sin that there is a redemptive quality that comes out of your anger. If there is not, you should not be getting angry in that way. Burke Parsons says this, if everything angers us, we need to repent. If nothing angers us, we still need to repent. But as I speak about sinful anger, you'll start to find the balance here and you'll recognize whether your anger is righteous or not. I can tell you that oftentimes when I fly off of the handle, it is not righteous anger. It is sinful anger. I've got to be very, very careful about that. We oftentimes use anger, sinful anger, as a defense. And um, there is some merit in it, but there's a place where if we overstep that boundary, it becomes hurtful and not helpful at all. James chapter one, verse 19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And then Ecclesiastes chapter seven verse nine says, do not, be not quick in your spirit to be angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Again, that is a warning to us. Secondly, anger can be used as a weapon. And we see that we do that often. This is what I've called instant revenge, which is so hurtful to people, it is sinful. And Romans chapter 12, verses 10 to 21 says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I had probably my greatest test of anger a few years ago. We were on holiday. Um, my sons were with Jen and I, and also Bill and Hanley were with us. We were on the island of Mykonos. We were having a cruise together and it was a day trip out. And we got into a bus and the bus was packed. It was full, full. People were standing down the aisle. And there were two men who were on the bus. Uh, they were standing close to me. And um, we uh, very quickly found out that they were a couple. And for some reason, these two men highlighted me, and as they were walking close, I was sitting next to Jen, then it was Bill and Hanley behind me, and two seats back were Ryan and Chris. And these two guys came, and you know, we were laughing, we were friendly with everyone, and we were talking to the people in the bus, and this one man turned to me and he looked at me, he says, today I wanna sit on your lap. Can I come and sit on your lap in the bus? I looked at him and I said, my lap is only reserved for my wife. <laughs> Which I would have said to, even if a young lady had asked. <gasps> and this man, riding the bus in front of everyone, became so abusive to me. And um, he was a coward because he never spoke to me directly, but he started to speak to Jenny about me. And he accused me of the type of stuff that should not even be mentioned in private. And um, there was something that started to rise up within me. And there was an anger that started to rise up. And I wanted to say to the guys, over the years I've acquired a set of skills. And I will find you. <laughs> and you know, I knew in that moment that if I had to get up and if I had to respond, that I would not finish that holiday with my family. 
probably land up in prison, both me and the other two guys, and um, I would spoil the trip for everyone. And there was almost like a demonic ambush that the devil had set for me on that bus. And if you know a little bit about me is that I can get angry if you push me too far. And, um, and this guy, it wasn't just one or two minutes, it went on for about 10, 15 minutes where he held abuse and abuse and abuse. But within that moment, the Spirit of God started to give me a supernatural strength and a wisdom that I do not possess myself. And I sat and I listened to this guy. And of course, if he had said anything abusive to my wife or my children, I'm not sure what I would have done. But he directed it at me and I just waited and I waited and I waited. And you know, as we got off of the bus, I had kept my self-control. And um, as we walked off of the bus, he had another go at me. And God gave me the ability to turn away and just to walk away. Friends, anger can be used as a weapon. And when you use anger as a weapon, there are consequences that follow that is destructive in nature. I think my future that day would have been canceled out if I responded in the way that I felt I could have and justifyingly so. But within God, it wasn't righteous and it wouldn't have helped anybody else. My friends, I really feel as I was praying this week that there are some of you that need to put your sword away as Jesus spoke. To Peter that day, he had taken out his sword and he used it and he chopped off the ear of Malchus. And Jesus turned to him and said, put your sword away. There's a clear clarion call to some of you today to put your sword away. Because that weapon should not be used. I call it instant revenge and we need to leave that for God. Now my friends, I prayed afterwards, many days afterwards, maybe many weeks afterwards, I should be honest, for those two men. And I prayed, I said, Lord, I pray that the gospel would reach them. Because my friends, if the gospel doesn't reach them, God will avenge me in that situation. Because God says, leave that for me. And my friends, when people fall in the hands of an angry God, it is a scary thing. And oftentimes, you and I take out of the hands of God what only he should be doing. And too many of us, and we think it is righteous anger, we take things into our own hands and we should leave it to God. Do you think it's a good time to say amen? And Renus, let's put up Romans chapter 12 again because I think it is so important. Verse 10, beloved, 
never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And the third type of sinful anger is anger that has become a part of your personality, a part of your nature. You see, and that oftentimes happens if you've been abused once. And that type of abuse settles into your spirit and it starts to become you. And the moment, my friend, that anger becomes you. Physically, the psychologists and the scientists tell you that anger will start the rot from the inside, physically but also spiritually, where it becomes a part of our natures. And every time when you feel that you have the right to get angry and you've become angry but you haven't sinned, you need to come before the Lord, you need to bring that anger before God and you need to say, Lord, I don't want this anger to become a part of my personality. I hand it over to you and I pray that you would teach me more to deal with the situation in a different way. We can never gloat over anger. You see, my friends, bitterness is when something is, is smoldering within us. It, you know, we call bitterness smoldering resentment, which often manifests itself in an unwillingness to forgive. This is anger turned inward. That's become part of your personality. I pray even today that God supernaturally would release you from it. Wrath. This is bursts of rage. A violent passions that you have or temper tantrums. This is anger turned outward. Clamor. The scripture says this consists of loud outcries of anger bickering and shouting down an opponent. This is anger turned loud. Slander, slander consists of insulting language, abusive speech, this is anger turned verbal. Malice, this consists of wishing evil on others or spite, this is anger turned vengeful. Ephesians chapter four verse 31 says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. My friends, that's the way we deal with anger within our lives. It is the supernatural power of the gospel that works itself inwardly within our lives where he starts to deal with all of the bitterness, the wrath, the clamor, the slander, the malice that's become a part of our personality. And my friends, as God deals with those things, you'll find that your anger issues will start to get lower and lower. And before you know it, I promise you, it'll be something of the past. It's a process, but when you allow God to deal with that, you will see that you will become a different person. A person that is angry, it starts to manifest upon their faces, their eyes, and they are unable to love 
like they used to or love like they've never known before. Some people have had this anger since they were children. I was so grateful that as a young boy I could speak to my mother about this. And she took action, went to see the headmaster when this man, he was my math teacher, really abused me. I remember still the picture, I was sitting in the front row there and he really didn't like me. I was a boy who was passionate for Christ. He was a farmer who teached, I can tell you still his name, and he was big. And I would sit there and he would ask questions and when I get it wrong, he would hit me on my back and the desk and the chairs would move maybe a meter, two meters forward. And I remember that and there was something within me that just stood up and he didn't know that I also had a set of skills. And it's called God. <laughs> it's called a mother. And um, I remember that so clearly, but because of the graciousness of God and what I was exposed to through Jesus, that Jesus started just to deal this with in my heart and he could start healing me from it. And many years later, I went back to the school uh, after I visited and I could shake this teacher's hands. He was a little bit more calmer then than what he was at the stage. But oftentimes you don't know what those people are dealing with within their lives. You don't know what they had gone through to become the way they are. But I promise you that God can turn that around within your life. just want to close. How do we overcome anger? Well, of course, we first have to admit that we have a problem in that area. You know, all that you need to find out whether you have a problem within that area is just to go and look in the mirror and ask yourself the question. Very often you can ask your spouse or you can ask your children or you can ask a friend who's truly honest. And my friends, that's the first step to overcoming anger. Anger is so destructive. Anger is so hurtful. But we can overcome it. And as Christians, we must overcome it. A woman was married to a husband who had a habit of making her angry. One day, one of her friends asked, how can you stay with a man who is so frustrating? The meek wife replies, oh, when he makes me mad, I just go and clean the toilet. Clean the toilet? How does that help? I use his toothbrush. <laughs> I check my toothbrush every now and then and I change it often. How do we come, overcome anger? That's not quite the way. I guess it's helpful sometimes. But Proverbs chapter 16 verse 32 says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. Put your sword away today. You do it by bringing your anger under the Lordship 
of Jesus Christ. Do that today. That event, there and then, in that bus, I had to bring under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It was demonic. It was there to curse my destiny. Bring it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Secondly, take personal responsibility for your actions and repent. Repent means that you say sorry and then you go and get help. First with Jesus and secondly by confiding in someone that you can trust who will be helpful to you. Thirdly, become like Jesus if you want to overcome your anger and forgive. Chances are that you were abused. The only way you overcome that is by looking at Jesus and forgiving like he's forgiven us. And then my friends, I can't emphasize this last point enough. You overcome your anger. You put your sword away by deciding to win the inward battle little by little. In faith and before you know it, you'll have control over that anger. And before you know it, that anger will be out of your personality. And you'll be free. And what happens when anger is gone, there is room to love again. If you only listen to this last point of mine, it would be worthwhile coming today. Get rid of the anger. It will make space for you to love again. And when you love again, that's when you become whole again. Let's trust Jesus for that. Would you stand, please? In moments like these, because, my friends, we do not know the abuse that some of you have suffered. Maybe you've just kind of like buried it, but every now and then that memory is still there. As we sing this next song, can I encourage you, please, just to look to Jesus. Jesus suffered the worst abuse of anyone else. When he died upon the cross, he received your abuse upon him. The crowds abused him that day. Not only did the crowds abuse him, but our sin just beat upon him and beat upon him and beat upon him. And because of our abuse, Jesus was so sad. He knows what it means to suffer abuse on our behalf. And so when you turn to him today, he will meet you today here and he will start a process of restoration so that you can love again. And so as we sing this next song, turn your attention and turn your eyes towards Jesus, please.